rock and roll. It's your daily dose of all things Gamecocks on the Inside the Gamecocks podcast. Here's J.C. Sherbert. Good morning, Gamecock fans. It is uh, the Inside the Gamecocks podcast with J.C. Sherbert. Glad you are here with us today uh, on September the 9th, 17 days before kickoff. Certainly um, honored and uh, pleased uh, that you guys continue to listen to this podcast. Thank you very much. Thanks for all the five-star ratings and reviews on the iTunes, Apple podcast area, store, whatever you want to call it. Uh, if you have an iPhone, it's right there on your app. It says podcast. Just go there. If you haven't done so already, rate it five, uh, write me a review that helps get us ranked and helps expand the, um, listening audience, which is, uh, expanded quite a bit the last uh, couple of days. You get this just about every day, uh, Monday through Friday. Uh, sometimes it's four times a week. Sometimes it's five. Most of the time it's five. Uh, but certainly, um, glad to have all of you. Uh, join us here on the Inside of the Gamecocks podcast. Lots to get to today, including some mailbag questions. Again, if you have a mailbag question, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com or tweet at the Big Spur Pod. <clears throat> um, just tweet at the question at, at the Big Spur Pod, and I will answer it for you right here. Love the interaction uh, with the fans. Uh, you know, we don't have a call in area or call in uh, deal. Uh, Because it's recorded, it's a podcast, not a live radio show. Um, So in lieu of calling in, send me an email because I like the audience participation thing and love to answer the questions that you guys have about the Gamecocks. I want to start today, I I, I was listening to a podcast, the College Football Daily from 24-7 Sports. They have Brad Crawford on. He's kind of our bowl game uh, analyst uh, for the network. Um, they were talking about bowl games, and it was interesting because, uh, you know, there's 76 teams playing in 82 bowl slots right now. Only one bowl has been canceled. And, and in talking to some sources sort of affiliated with the networks, uh, ESPN in particular, they're going to do everything they can to have a bowl game, a bowl season this year, just because that's inventory for the networks um, after this very challenging year. Uh, you know, I think that rewarding teams with, with a bowl game is going to be a good thing. Everybody loves bowl season. And from what Brad was saying and from what I've been told, they're probably not going to care too much about final record. Maybe they don't let a winless team in. <laughs> uh, let's say Vandy or Arkansas goes 0-10, which could happen. Uh, or maybe they do with, with strength of schedule. I mean, I, I could – if you're going to let losing record teams in – Uh, I could make a strong argument for Arkansas based on their strength of schedule that, hey, man, these guys, you know, maybe they deserve a chance to go play somebody that they can match up with a little better and and get a W maybe in the the Liberty Bowl where, you know, their fans will show up or whatever. Uh, But it's going to be different. Uh, So prepare yourself if you're a purist. uh, And I I consider myself a college football purist and traditionalist. I'm not a big fan of – Losing record teams going to bowls uh, probably had mixed emotions about six and six, but dadgummit, we got so many bowl games, you know, six and six has to has to go. And certainly I'm a bigger fan of SEC, uh, Big Ten, you know, major conference teams at 500 getting into bowls. I, uh, whereas, you know, a couple of years ago, like, for example, I'll give you like South Carolina in 07, 
that was six and six football team, obviously on a five game losing streak. Well, you know, they ran out of tie-ins for the SEC, came down to them in Alabama for the Independence Bowl, and, you know, Bama's getting that spot. Um, and, and, and But you looked around, and, you know, there were six and six, seven and five teams from the MAC going to bowls, and you're like, well, they're, they're not better than South Carolina, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I, you know, in my opinion – you know, I, I, I'm, I'm a purist in terms of the bowl games, and I, I, I'd like to see some of these, you know, mid-major tie-ins go the way of the Dodo Bird, and, you know, let's have some different uh, matchups and different destinations for fans and, and, and sort of make it fun. I think it would be a better product. It would be more interesting. I think when you look at the SEC bowl tie-ins, you know, an SEC team's been going to the Outback Bowl for the past 25 years, and – um you know, they tend to gravitate towards SEC East teams. And so how many times does South Carolina or Tennessee or whoever play in the Outback? I mean, they'll take an Auburn or LSU every now and then. But, uh, you know, to me, I, I, <laughs> I, I'd mix it up. You know, I'd mix it up a little bit. You know, Carolina people, if you think about the difference between the crowds at the first two Outback Bowls uh, and then the last one, um, and, and, you know, it was kind of a same, the same type of situation. Carolina in 2017 had a rebound year um, where they ended up winning eight, eight games in the regular season, nine overall, kind of like 2001, second straight time they've been to the Outback Bowl. They sold it out then uh, for a rematch with Ohio State, but didn't get very many people in there for Michigan uh, with Will Muschamp and his second team. But, but that's to be expected because you go so many times, it's just like, oh, man. Um, you know, and, and I kind of put all this together uh, in 2018 when, you know, to go watch a, you know, 500 Carolina, or I guess they were five and three at the time, uh, against a, a 500 or below Ole Miss team, you know, Carolina shows up with five to 6,000 fans just because they hadn't been to Oxford since 08. I mean, 10 years, that's a long time. So it's a new and fresh trip. Um, so I'm all for jumbling it up. And, and from what Brad said today, it's going to be jumbled up quite a bit. You know, who knows what will happen with some of the tie-ins. The, the, the New Year's Six games are probably going to try to maintain those tie-ins. Like the Orange Bowl, you know, with the Big Ten not playing, it'll be, you know, ACC-SEC matchup. Uh, you know, they'll have uh, the Big 12 probably involved with the Cotton Bowl in some way. Um, so they're going to try their best, you know, to keep everything on that level sort of only up and up. I don't think you'll see losing record teams in those, but I think it could be a free for all below that. Uh, Brad has Carolina going three and seven and playing in the Gator Bowl against Louisville. So, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, the point of all this is there could be a bowl, even if there's not a great record this year, because. Uh, you know, and, and I think if you think about it, you know, you, with the with the all SEC schedule, if you're South Carolina, and yes, Clemson went off, but there were three kind of built in wins. So if you win three, you know that that would have gotten you to six wins and a bowl trip. So I, you know, am I? I'm not predicting three and seven uh, by any chance, but I do think that uh, you know, I, I do think that it'll be a situation where you will see some teams that don't have winning records in bowls if they want to play all the bowls. Now, you know, the NCAA, I think, will have to kind of 
certify that. I, I think they will. I don't think they care about much uh, right now. Um, you know, I kind of wish they'd get Jalen Brooks waiver done, <laughs> but uh, they're just kind of doing whatever you guys want to do with football. You can go do uh, and all that. So, you know, even if uh, the record is, is south, uh, you know, and this is not official, there there could still be a bowl trip in the cards, and I, I think that would be, you know, a good thing uh, for the Gamecocks. I, I would honestly, with everybody playing an all SEC schedule, I would, I would say just hey, look, you know, any all fourteen SEC teams, you know, because you have eighty two spots and only seventy six teams playing. I would say the ACC, SEC, Big Twelve, you know, those. Uh, 29 plus whatever, however many you're playing, 29 plus 10, 39 power five teams that are playing, you know, they're all in, <laughs> you know, cause you, you have, you have a lot of like Mac versus whoever spots and stuff like that. I would just say they're all in um, and then fill the other, you know, I guess that's 42 spots for everybody else. That's not bad either. You're going to have a five and five team from conference USA or, or whatever, going and playing. Uh, so that's what I would do. I would just say, all right, you know, and then look, I, I'm going to say this. I'm watching, I love bowl season. And I'll, I'll watch any college football game. Um, and I don't know about you guys. Maybe you disagree with me. And if you do, that's fine. You can email inside the game at gmail.com and give me your take on it. Like, let's say I'm just watching a, a game in December. I would rather watch a two and eight Tennessee you know, take on like a three and seven Texas Tech because that's Tennessee versus Texas Tech. Then like Southern Miss and SMU, at, you know, or, or like a seven and five SMU versus a six and six Utah State, which is what happens, and which is what will happen again when they roll it back around. But for this year, I think it would be interesting, and I think the ratings would be higher, and you'd probably sell more tickets uh, just because. Tennessee people, even if they're two and eight, they're going to show up for a game, especially if it's like it's in Nashville. I mean, over the holidays, you know, why not? I mean, you're two and eight and the Music City Bowl, it's been a tough year. Let's see if you can't turn turn it around a little after a three-week layoff. Um, you know, so, so that's just me. So, so we'll see what happens. My guess is, you know, the access to bowl games this year uh, will be fine. I, I think that a lot of people thought, well – because there's such a, an opinion out there from, from some people around college football that bowls aren't important, et cetera, et cetera, that they were just going to do away with the bowls. Uh, not so fast, my friend. You know, and I mentioned this at the top, ESPN controls the bowls. How much money does ESPN put into college football and Disney and all that? Uh, and they need inventory. So, so, so don't think just because, you know, whoever out there despises bowl games, uh, and there are some people that do and think they're irrelevant and all that. I don't think any college football games are irrelevant. I don't think they mean as much as they once did. Um, but, you know, just because these people that, that hate the bowls that don't want to watch them, you know, and I'm like, well, don't watch, uh, you know, or, or think that that's the first on the chopping block. Don't think that. Don't think that at all. Um, are there going to be 41 bowl games? I don't think so. They've already canceled the Red Box Bowl that takes out in San Francisco. Uh, you know, you, you're not going to, I mean, you're probably not going to quite get to 41, but I think there'll be quite a few. And then the, the red box is the only one that's canceled. So they, they, everybody else is like, well, we're having our game. So 
a little bowl talk on September 9th, 17 days before you start the season. That's not bad. Um, Deshaun Fenwick, want to say a few words about him. And uh, I know that if you look at, you know, some of the projected depth charts out there, I think Whittle had one. Josh Kendall on The Athletic released his today. Uh, I haven't done one, you know. I don't know that I will um, just because Whittle does that for our site or did that for our site. They're all, they've all got Fenwick listed as the number one running back coming out of, of, of spring and – or, excuse me, preseason. And I tend to agree. Uh, I think that, you know – it's going to be an opportunity for him. And, and, you know, you, you look at this with Sean Fenwick, number one, uh, even though he was not a four-star rated guy, he was still heavily recruited. Georgia wanted him. Texas wanted him. The Gamecocks got him. Um, I think the number two, when you look at when he's had an opportunity in games, i.e. when he's had carry after carry after carry, uh, and albeit against Chattanooga and Vanderbilt, when the Vanderbilt was more impressive because Vanderbilt actually you know, had a decent defense last year, um, you know, he went for 100-something yards. Um, I think he's got good instincts. He's excellent at catching the ball out of the backfield. So screen game could be there. He's worked hard. So, you know, I, I keep seeing him projected as the number one guy, and then I keep hearing people, you know, fans or whatever, giving every reason why he's not going to be the guy. And he may not. Uh, I think he's getting the first first crack at this, though. Um, and those are the reasons why, and he's practiced well. I think they're trying to get him to really, intensity-wise, take it to the next level. Um, not that he's not intense. Don't the Please don't go out there, oh, Fenwick's not intense enough. But, you know, to get out there and, and be more consistent. Consistency's been a big theme of this preseason for this team. And I think it's been a big theme everywhere. I mean, you got Jeremy Pruitt just completely throwing his defensive line under the bus every day, it seems, up in Rocky Top. And I don't know if that, that's probably motivation, but I didn't think they were going to be all that great anyway. Uh, also, they lost the best defensive line coach in the SEC. <laughs> so, you know, think about that. He's now in South Carolina. But, you know, I, I think a lot of teams, even, you know, Alabama and schools like that are struggling with consistency uh, just because of the time we're in. But, you know, I, I think they want Fenway to be more consistent. Uh, looking forward to Zaquandre White coming back. Um, yeah, I had kind of mixed feelings about him as a recruit. I uh, watched his film out of, you know, Iowa Western and, and thought there were some things he did really well, some things maybe that were not as good. Uh, but, you know, I, I think that he can make an impact, and, and they're excited about Rashad Amos and Kevin Harris. Uh, but I think Fenwick's going to get the first crack at it. So I'm kind of making my case for him and, and for people that kind of wondered why he didn't get a lot of carries and all that. Uh, prior to now, you know, number one, you know, he had some things he needed to work on. And, you know, most of the time, you know, at running back, you know, by the time you're in your second year, you either got it or you don't. Um, but then there are guys that do need to work on fundamentals like pad level and things like that. Those things can be corrected. You know, there's not a ton of coaching and development that goes into that. But uh, with him particularly, he's a taller guy, you know, you got to get him down a little bit, you know. And, and so, you know, he probably just wasn't ready. And, you know, so, so, so there's, your, there's your answer with that. 
Uh, you know, and, and I think that, you know, last year too, you, you had Rico Dowdle and Tavian Feaster and Mon Denson uh, in the room. And uh, while Feaster and Dowdle kind of spent different times being banged up, you know, they, they, weren't, they didn't play more than two usually. Um, and, you know, it, it was unrealistic to think Fenwick is going to beat those guys out. Uh, and then Kevin Harris was in the mix when he was healthy too. So, you know, that's about the thing about Fenwick. That's probably going to be your starting running back. You know, again, 17 days. So anything can happen. You may see somebody else. But uh, just to kind of go along with some of the other projected depth charts, that would be my uh, projection too. I'm not going to tell you who Josh projected at quarterback. It's behind the paywall. Uh, but let's just say that it, it's, it, it aligns with sort of what Whittle and I have been saying. Um, and, 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 I, and I'll say this. I, I think people need to get off this notion that oh, Colin Hill was a Mountain West player, blah, 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 blah. His stats, blah, 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 blah. If you, if you look at his stats, his first and his last year, 16 touchdowns to four picks, that's a good ratio. 68% completion percentage, that's a good ratio. Um, you know, I, I, I'm, if he wins the job, I'm just curious to see what, what he's going to do. Like I said yesterday, I hope Ryan Helensky wins the job. I like Ryan Helensky and I don't know Colin Hill that well, even though he's from my hometown, but he's also a, a guy that's overcome adversity that you pull for. Um, but you know, it, it, it would make my life easier if Helensky won it. <laughs> but that may not be reality, folks. I mean, you know, they, they're not, you know, they're not just sitting there messing around. I mean, they, they're going to play the guy that gives them the best chance to win. Uh, I think with some receivers stepping up and the fact that you're going to have to, you're going to have to have good play calling and most importantly, execution on offense. You have to stay on the field uh, to win games. Uh, you know, I, it, it's probably Colin Hill. That, that guy would make the most sense. And then it's not a game manager thing. And I don't know where in the world people are starting to talk about Holland Hill can't throw the ball down the field. I mean, you know, take it for what it's worth, but you heard Todd Ellis praise his deep ball and said it was the best since Anthony Wright. I don't know about that, but, you know, if he's the best since whoever, and Todd Ellis, who's been around the program every year for years, you know, that's his opinion. I mean, you know, I, I don't know that throwing the ball downfield is a big issue. And if you watch this film from Colorado State, it's not. You know, there are some really nice deep passes, and, and they attack all over the place in the passing game. There's some short passes too, but, you know, it's about making the right read. Um, I, I think the good news with all of this with Ryan Holinsky is that he's gotten a lot better. Uh, and this has been good for him to have this competition. And, and who knows, uh, you know, everybody keeps saying, you know, you, you're going to need everybody to be ready this year because of COVID and things like that. Um, and so you have Ryan Holinsky right there if you start Colin Hill. And, you know, Colin Hill does have three ACL tears. And so that's a concern. So you, you, if you're going to start him, you need a strong backup. And, and I think Ryan will be, and Luke Doty as well. So, uh, that's my quarterback take for today. I, and I, I would just encourage everybody before you, you know, wave the white flag based on things that don't mean anything like, oh, he played at Colorado State or he was a three-star. You know, don't wave the white flag just yet. Um, like I said, you know, I, I, I'm not guaranteeing he's going to go out there and beat Tennessee. 
uh, or win the Heisman or whatever, but uh, there's a reason he's in the mix. Mike Bobo is not a moron. You know, he's a guy that's got a good track record. And it, you know, I can't think of a time uh, at Georgia or CSU where he did not play the best guy. You know, I think that uh, there were times at Georgia where, you know, maybe they started a guy at the beginning of the year, then they had a stud come in and beat him out, uh, which could be the case here. But, uh, you know, I, I don't know that, you know, you look back on – Bobo's career, there's never been a situation where it's like, why is this guy playing when this guy should be, you know, at all? So we'll see kind of what happens there. That's the quarterback deal. Secondary, um, you know, I want to continue to, to, to talk about Cam Smith and John Dixon and how big their emergence has been. Um, you know, lots of questions I've been getting, discussion about, you know, is McQuambu going to go to safety? No. But, yes, in certain situations. Uh, you know, McQuamu is not a every-down safety. You know, he's a corner. He's just 6'4". And I know it's intriguing because of the body type there, and everybody wants to, you know, have cookie-cutter guys. And, you know, you start thinking about a 6'4 safety, that's different than a 6'4 corner because that's less rare. And you start thinking about center field and all that. And I'll say this, in certain packages, when you're in passing downs and you got a nickel and a dime on the field and you got another corner in there and then you move move to safety, you know, that, that could be awesome. You know, that could be something – because if you're a quarterback, you have to be aware of Israel McQuarrie. I mean, he's got these long old – I mean, you saw that last year at times. Um, and, and so I, I think that's a positive thing. And, and I think R.J. Roderick coming on – is a positive thing with, with Jamar Brown being down with Jalen Dickerson having yet another injury. You know, they, they need RJ Roderick to be a starter over there. Um, and, and he's shown flashes of being capable. He's a junior this year. It's his third year. It's, it's time to go rock and roll uh, for him. Uh, so I think that's a positive thing there in the secondary as they continue to work. Um, we'll see ultimately how it shakes out against the Vols. Uh, I do think South Carolina's defensive backfield poses a pretty big challenge to a somewhat green Tennessee uh, receiving core. You know, they've got obviously Garantano at quarterback who's played a lot of football. Um, but, you know, that's a that's kind of a green receiving core there uh, that Tennessee's going to trot out on the 26th. So that, that should be somewhat of an advantage for South Carolina. Uh, as long as Garitano and Jim Chaney doesn't carve them up and confuse them with play calls, because certainly you know Chaney's shown over the years he can he can dial them up. Um, all right, so let's talk about Zach Pickens. You know, five star guy played a lot last year, played well uh, when he did play behind Ken Law and, and Smith. You know, not listed at the top of the depth chart this this preseason so far. Uh, Kier Thomas and Jabari Ellis, two seniors, are ahead of Rick Sandage and Zach Pickens. I think we all had Pickens and Sandage penciled in. Um, you know, and there's good reasons for that. I mean, I, you know, I, I think with Thomas, you know, sometimes you, you know, you want to slide him out to end uh, on rundowns. I think Ellis is the same way. They're both guys that can do both. So you probably didn't just pencil them in as starters uh, at tackle. But that's how it's shaking out. Um, and you, you kind of see some of the, the already people, though, oh, well, they're, you know, if, if, if he's not starting by now, what, you know, and look, he, he's only been there one year. 
Uh, and he slid inside full time last year after being, uh, you know, mostly an end uh, where he was kind of a freak in high school. Uh, I wouldn't worry about this. I, I think number one, you know, Tracy Rocker knows exactly what he's doing. Um, I think Pickens and Sandage both, they want to get the most out of them. I think there's a lot of motivation going on there. Uh, and I think quite frankly, Kier Thomas and Jabari Ellis have worked their butts off and, you know, are playing, you know, probably playing more, with more intensity and more consistency down to down than Sandage and Pickens. And that that's fine. And to be expected, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't think for a minute you're going to see a situation where, you know, those two are, are, are on the field more than Pickens or Sandage, you know. I, I think that, um, you know, when, when you look at the, uh, you know, how, how they're going to rotate in and, and rotate out, uh, you're going to see Pickens and Sandage and, and probably Boogie Huntley and my cat, Micaiah Scott and everybody else sort of rotate in as well. I think that they're, you know, you got to do that on the defensive line. So, you know, I, I would encourage everybody just to kind of take a deep breath when you see that, uh, especially if it happens the first game, Pickens isn't starting. Don't please don't think he's a bust. I mean, that's because that's just not true. Uh, the guy's probably going to play a long time in the National Football League. And look, I'll eat my words if I'm wrong. Uh, sort of down the down the road if you'd like me to. Looks like there's going to be, and I'll switch to basketball for a minute then roll back uh, to the mailbag, which is football, football questions. Um, looks like non-conference, and I was on the radio with Wimp Sanderson and Barry Sanderson today in Tuscaloosa. Looks like there's going to be kind of a non-conference bubble when it comes to college basketball this year, which I think I think solid. There are some other I guess ideas out there as far as basketball goes, John Rothstein today reports that the ACC is going to propose that every single division one team makes the NCAA tournament in uh, 2021. So I think we're talking about a 314 team tournament. <laughs> ah, you know, it'd be interesting uh, I think Frank Martin, uh, you know, he's, he's pretty good in the tournament. <laughs> if you think about it, uh, uh, you know, I guess you'd have to win what eight, nine to get to the final four. Um, it'd be good for the Gamecocks. Good for Frank Martin, because then you wouldn't have to worry about being a bubble team or whatever. I'd be curious to see if teams start resting guys late, like with conference titles on the line or whatever, just because if everybody's in, everybody's in. You know, and, and what does it really mean? I mean, if you're a if you're a team that's got you know a shot at winning at all, uh, you know, are you going to start resting your stars or whatever, and not really give a flip about the conference? I don't know. Interesting proposal from the ACC, though. Uh, obviously, they have a lot to say about basketball. Excuse me, basketball and all that. But uh, as for the bubbles, I saw a potential bubble in Atlanta, <clears throat> and these teams were already invited. But it just struck me that, you know, Clemson was invited. I think Bama was on the list, but not, not the Gamecocks. And I started thinking, like, when was the last time South Carolina, when it wasn't the SEC tournament, got invited to anything or played anything in Atlanta as far as basketball goes? It's almost as bad as football. Um, and I, th- I thought back, I think the 1988, what was called the Cotton States Classic, 
at the Omni uh, in Atlanta. Gamecocks played, I think, LaSalle and Princeton uh, in kind of a round-robin two-day deal, or maybe it was you know, a title game or whatever. They got beat both games. But I think that was the last time the Gamecocks played when it wasn't the SEC tournament uh, in Atlanta uh, in the sport of basketball. If I'm wrong about that, uh, somebody let me know uh, via the mailbag or whatever. So, wow, you know, what's it what's it take for the Gamecocks to get invited in, in so, any sport uh, to a neutral site shindig in, in, the, in the capital city of the South? College football, you know, it's a good college basketball town as well. I'm like kind of taken aback by that. It's been, um, it's been 33, 33 years. It'll be 30, 32 years uh, since that tournament at the Omni. The Omni doesn't even exist anymore. So, um, and, you know, of course, we've talked to at length that, you know, they, the Chick-fil-A kickoff game doesn't invite them. Um, even though they have two of those games some years, and sometimes they invite the same teams over and over. They don't invite Carolina. The Peach Bowl you literally have to like be in a situation where they have to take the Gamecocks. 69 ACC champs, I think they had to take them. Uh, and then as the SEC East champs in 2010, they had to take them. Other than that, they never take the game. They, they, they'd rather take anybody, Arkansas, whoever. I don't think they've ever taken Arkansas. But, you know, it's just kind of funny, um, those situations there over in Atlanta and I don't, I, you know, I, I can't put my finger on why it's just a strange thing. You'd think a school that recruited that city that has the alumni base in that city. That's, you know, two and a half hours away would be very attractive given the Gamecocks fan base and all that. But uh, it just hasn't happened. They, they tend to prefer other schools and including some from further away that don't have nearly the support the Gamecocks have. I think, you know, Duke played, in the kickoff game, <laughs> you know, Duke. So that's tough. Duke opened with Alabama last year and they opened with Notre Dame this year. That's Saturday, by the way, ACC's kicking off Duke, Notre Dame and Clemson, Wake Forest, Clemson, Wake Forest is the big matchup. No fans uh, in Winston Salem, just an empty stadium and uh, 33 point favorite Clemson Tigers going up there prime time uh, to play that football game. So quite interesting. All right. Time for me to get to some mailbag questions and I uh, appreciate the mailbag questions, obviously. Um, all right. Hey, JC, I know you spoke on some of this yesterday, but I was a little concerned when I found out that Burt sat out during Saturday scrimmage and I added to the fact I haven't really heard his name much this fall. I know it's early in the camp for him and he might be getting his feet wet. Wasn't really sure why he sat out. I don't know why he sat out either. It, you know, the, the, it could have been like contact tracing with COVID protocol or something like that. Maybe I'm thinking too much into it, but with recent opt-outs and the drama during the signing period, I can't think that he may have second thoughts. I hope I'm wrong. I just want your thoughts. Thanks again. I appreciate your time. My number one podcast. I, you know, I, I think it's unfair as far as like you're talking about the 24 hours worth of, you know, not sending in your letter of intent. That was much more dramatic on the internet than it was in real life. And with the media, um, it, you know, it, it simply was, they didn't send it in one day, you know, they sent it in the next. Uh, it wasn't a situation where he was ever considering going someplace else, or he was trying to flip it one school against the other. It was simply like, just a 
you know, he and his family, and it was more his family than anybody, uh, preferred to send it in the next day. And it was only 24 hours. I mean, I've seen, I've seen things like that that really get dramatic, linger for a week or two, and then it really gets nuts. Um, so I wouldn't apply that uh, to sitting out. Um, I have heard nothing about him opting out. Um, I do know he's not first string, and he's behind uh, J.J. Enigbare, and he's not gonna, probably not going to beat Enigbare out this year at all. Um, at Buck, uh, I think he's going to play a lot. Uh, I also don't think that, you know, he's going to beat out Brad Johnson in certain situations at the Sam, and then they're going to put Brad Johnson's hand down. And you have to keep in mind, Enig Barre is a four star guy that Carolina beat Georgia on. You know, they really like him a lot. And Brad Johnson was a low four star guy. They beat Virginia Tech on from within the state, uh, and they like him a lot. And so, you know, they're older, and, and, and Jordan isn't like, you know, he's not Jadevi and Clowney. I mean, and, and not a lot of people are. Uh, and keep in mind, Clowney didn't even start, you know, his first season because you had Melvin Ingram on one side and I believe Cliff Matthews on the other, um, or Devin Taylor. And so, I you know, I, I, I'm not worried about it. I've, I've got some, some contacts close to Birch, and I, I wouldn't – I wouldn't worry about that too much right now. Uh, and if he does opt out, you know, the optics of that are going to look terrible, you know, because it's your big five-star recruit everybody was happy about. Now he's opting out, so you kind of start to question it. But it, it, I don't think it's going to impact the overall success of the team. That said, I've heard nothing about him opting out, and I'd be very surprised if he did. I just think he's, you know, he's just behind. You know, I mean, and he's just, I mean, and, you know, I think you got to give credit to J.J. Enigbare, who's finally healthy and ready to go. Now, Enigbare does get banged up every now and then. And so, you know, I think you need Jordan Birch in case, you know, that happens again. You know, fool me once, shame on you, you know, you, me or you, fool, you know, whatever. <laughs> I think George W. Bush did that. He's just fooling, you know. <laughs> I just made a, I just did a George W. Bush uh, deal. Anyway, also me being a homer of Spartanburg as well, seems like we missed a lot of talent coming from the upstate in past years. That seems to have changed, but can't help but think if maybe we could have made more moves on some players like a Colin Hill sooner, we would be now especially considering some of the other talent that has come out of the upstate that Clemson has capitalized on. Yeah, you know, it, it's different. <laughs> And I think of it because, you know, Debo Samuel was an upstate guy. You know, you go back to Lattimore and Nick Jones and Dylan Thompson, they were all upstate kids. Um, you know, Feaster went to Clemson, but he ended up at Carolina. So that was kind of, I guess, a split deal, split decision on, on that one. Um, Clemson has gotten guys. They're, they're good at Norman, um, you know, going back to, to Sharon Peak, uh, Jordan McFadden, was not a player Carolina was interested in, but he, he's at Clemson. He's going to start at right tackle this year for them. Uh, you know, J.J. Arcega, Whiteside, that was probably a player that Steve Spurrier Jr. should have got, um, you know, just in, in all fairness. Uh, you know, they got Chavis Dawkins out of Burns. So, um, and then, you know, Marcellus Dial, who was at Woodruff, is, is now coming, you know, circling back. You know, and obviously, like I said, the pride of – Chapman High School and Debo. Uh, and, you know, Colin Hill, 
Uh, maybe if, if they, you know, had, had gotten here and had seen the future with McIlwain, I think they would have taken Colin Hill, just to be honest. Um, I, I think they liked him enough. He was good enough at the, at the Shrine Bowl, but he also very loyal kid and liked Mike Bobo and was going to go to Colorado State uh, and play for him, and it's paid off. Uh, I do think that when you talk about the upstate as a whole, and you go over into Greenville County, that's kind of a different animal. And you got Jaden Lucas coming out of Malden, heavy lean to Clemson. I'd say the same for Colin Sadler out of Greenville High School. Um, and the game guys have missed on some guys. You know, Troy Pride out of Greer, who's starting in the NFL now, went to Notre Dame. He's, uh, you know, he's a player that, you know, was during that transition where the old staff didn't really talk to him. The new staff came in. And it was just too late. He was set to go with Notre Dame. Um, but you have the big tight end, wide receiver out of Greer for, for next year. Um, and I think Carolina continues to be competitive uh, for the guys in the upstate. And, and you know, you get some good players out of there. I mean, I think, you know, I'm, I'm curious to see what Marcellus Dial looks like uh, after being in junior college and coming out of Woodruff, assuming he makes it back in. You know, that's – those are the types of guys at those little schools you find, and you're like, "Wow, this guy can play." Um, but but I'm with you. I'm a big Spartanburg homer, and and you know I think that's a that's a good deal uh, whenever you can recruit up there. And certainly everybody's proud of of, of guys like Debo Samuel uh, from Chapman High School. I think you know the Gamecocks' last player from Chapman I think was Toby Cates, who was also a really good receiver. Uh, Played quarterback in high school, but receiver for the Gamecocks. I think he was one of Tanny Hill's past catchers back in the 90s. Um, so, yeah, there's been enough. But you're right. I mean, and you go over toward Greenville, and it's, you know, it's you know, Clemson is Clemson should sign the top guys out of Greenville, given the state of their program uh, and all that, unless you get a kid that's just a, you know, die-in-the-wool Carolina doesn't want to go to Clemson under any circumstances. So, you know, we'll see kind of how that rolls out. But, uh, Phil, thanks for your uh, your question there. Um, I hope that those were both good questions and I hope I answered them appropriately. Don't worry. All right. Noah says, JC, I recently found the podcast and I've really enjoyed it. Keep up the great work. Thank you, Noah. I appreciate it. And it's not a surprise. It's been recently found by a lot of people. People keep doing a great job going and rating five stars, writing those reviews, and that get, pulls us up into search. And so, you know, all your Gamecock friends. Also, you know, post the link uh, to the podcast. Uh, I know some people are in some of these uh, Gamecock Facebook page groups where they sit around and talk about the Gamecocks all day. Throw me a link up there if you want, if people like to listen to podcasts. I'm sure they'll like to listen to something daily uh, where we take questions and all that and have guests at times. Uh, my question is, what game this season do you believe the Gamecocks have the best chance to pull off an upset and why? I want to say LSU really bad, Noah, just because I think so many people just assume that LSU is going to just survive. 36 guys being gone, both coordinators being gone. Uh, guys getting another, – another one of their defensive ends got suspended indefinitely today. I, I just – I don't understand, you know, LSU recruits well. They don't recruit like Alabama. Uh, LSU doesn't, you know, it's it's not like they've been rolling out, you know, 13 and one every year. Uh, they had a, they put it all together last year. Great. 
Uh, I'm not sold on Miles Brennan. Uh, I'm not sold on, on you know how good they're going to be. And, and I think it's it's I don't I don't understand the color blindness in terms of or the blindness uh, in terms of uh, looking at that team going oh yeah well they'll still be eight and two really based on what. <laughs> You can recruit as well as you want. You lose 36 players and both coordinators, you're, you're going you're gonna to be behind the eight ball. If Ed Orgeron against that schedule goes eight and two or nine and one this year, he should be the national coach of the year again. So I want to say LSU. You can, you can tell I've kind of been stewing on this because I, I, everybody, like every day they lose a player and that number keeps going up. And people are like, oh, well, you know, they'll. I mean, you know, they'll still be really good. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, 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 I don't know if Alabama could survive that. And Alabama's been, you know, it's taken, you know, Bama's been doing this for 12 years. You know, people, people don't get that. They're like, well, you know, that's another one of those recruiting ranking disconnect things. But I want to say LSU, I can't say it. Just because the game is down there. That's a place that lots of teams struggle. I, I think Carolina could be competitive down there, but I and I just went through the reasons why they may not be all that good. But I, I, I that's a hard thing for me to say. If that game was in Columbia, I would say LSU, but it's not because um, there are going to be some fans in the stands. You know, in the SEC, there's not anybody I don't think that's going no fans. So. You know, in in, Col- in Columbia, I'd say LSU. But uh, I'm going to go with Florida again. <laughs> and I'm a glutton for punishment probably because I've said this the last two years. And the Gamecocks have come close. Uh, I think Carolina has a chance to go in there. You know, Florida's got a little bit of a challenge with Ole Miss first week. they got to go out to Ole Miss. I think they're going to win that game probably convincingly. Because uh, I just think Ole Miss just isn't going to be ready. Uh, they win that game convincingly. They're going to come back to the swamp. I think Carolina, you know, provided they do take care of business and beat Tennessee, you know, Carolina's going to go in there bullseye. You know, and, and look, obviously Carolina's got to have no, you know, not a lot of COVID guys missing, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I just don't think, still, even with all the preseason hype with Florida, that. You know, those two rosters are that far apart. I think Florida's is better, but it, it's not like like vastly superior enough to where you just go, ah, oh, well, they pull it within – they play it within two touchdowns, whatever. You know, I, I think Carolina go in there and beat them. So, I'm, for the third straight year, I'm going to say Florida. And, and I laid out the reasons why I wanted to say LSU. Uh, I'm in shock that everybody's like, LSU is going to be just fine. <laughs> It's like the meme of that dog in the burning house. This is fine. <laughs> what? Uh, based on what? Recruiting rankings and Miles Brennan? I mean, come on, man. I'm like, God, what what are you? I love Ed Orgeron, too. I was elated because, I, you know, when he got the job, I told people it's not going to be that bad. People, oh, you're just saying that. You just like coaches that have been fired. I'm like, no, I think Ed Orgeron's a pretty good coach, and, you know. But I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, this would be a lot for Nick Saban to overcome. I, I think I, I just you know, and every day it just seems to pile up. So you know, we'll see kind of what happens. But 
you know, that's my that's my story with Florida, and I'm sticking to it as far as the upset goes this year. But they there are going to be a lot of upset opportunities, and if the Gamecocks are going to have a good season, um, they're going to have to pull some upsets. You know, so that's uh, that's the deal. So I don't know. You know, Tennessee fans quit tweeting about the big fight. Nobody's going to get suspended. No, don't, don't, don't encourage that guy's dad. Stop. You know, Carolina may have some people out, but it's probably going to be due to COVID. (laughs) If anything, which everybody should be concerned about, quit wishing upon a star that everybody's going to be out for the big fight. That's, that's insane. I mean, Clemson fans, you don't even play South Carolina. <laughs> Why are you worried about it? Uh, yeah, we just want to see – we just want to see them lose. All right, good. Good for you. Good for you. But that's not going to happen. The, the, the fight thing that I addressed yesterday, it's, a, it's an absolute nothing burger. Uh, as things stand today, now maybe something else emerges. and It's 2020, so I'm not going to rule anything out, but uh, – as things stand today, it's a nothing burger. Quit talking about it and, and acting like, you know, whatever happens, you know, you're going to, um, you know, you're going to end up uh, getting some advantage in that game. You're going to have to come to Carolina and beat them. Unless there's COVID uh, guys that miss, and that could happen too. So, anyway, I just saw that on on the Twitter so Tennessee fans, hey, big fight. Oh, my God. Game guys are not – I have half their people. No, that's not the case. Not the case at all. All right, so this has been Inside the Gamecocks Podcast. I appreciate each and every one of you listening. Please continue the five-star ratings and reviews. Uh, and the mailbag questions, again, inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. That's inside the Gamecocks at gmail.com. Or tweet at the Big Spur Pod. Um, I will be on JB and Goldwater um, at about 1230 uh, today, Eastern time. Uh, you can stream that on Twitter or YouTube and then also get the podcast afterward if you miss it. A JB and Goldwater show is outstanding. Uh, so we'll see. You know, you can see me there. Also had a great interview with Matt Stinchcomb on the JC and Morgan podcast yesterday. We went about an hour and 45, went about 45 with Matt. Then Mike and I went on about – an hour with some different college football topics and things of that nature. So it's a very in-depth get your money's worth podcast on JC and Morgan this week. Um, Obviously you can find this podcast on iTunes slash Apple pods on Spotify, you know, put us on your playlist or whatever, the Stitcher app 24 seven sports and just about anywhere you find podcasts, you will find inside the Gamecocks. All right. This is JC Sherbert. Everyone have a wonderful Wednesday. And we'll holler at you soon.